Hi, and welcome to Author Uncut. I'm your host and author, Patrice Williams Marks. I don't know about you, but my favorite horror films do not include the occult, supernatural, or monsters, but just plain old slasher films. Do you remember your first slasher film? I do. Does this music give you a clue? It's Halloween. (laughs) I was a teen and probably sneaked out with my friends to see it because it's not the type of film my mom would have willingly let me go to. It had teens, sex, murder, mayhem. (laughs) Although I could only identify with a teen babysitter at the time, that was enough to get me into the theater. And it was so worth it. The tension, the red herrings that turn into a slasher fest. Scary stuff in 1978, mind you. Michael Myers was the ultimate boogeyman. Director and co-writer of Halloween, John Carpenter, worked the shadowed scenes with pace and ratched up the terror with grisly scenes, but also scenes which had suspense and tension only. These scenes where we imagined what was happening and then see the after effects, those were even more terrifying. Because of the mastery of John Carpenter, Halloween is held up to the test of time. When I moved to Los Angeles to go to college, I joined the campus TV station as a news reporter. John Carpenter came on campus one evening discussing his body of work, you know, so far. And I was lucky enough to be in the room as a reporter. Everyone listened intently as he spoke about his fascination with horror and why he decided to make the original film and if he thought the franchise would continue. Of course he did, and it has for 40 years, and it's going to continue. I can guarantee you that. So I'll use the original Halloween as an example of horror movie must-have elements. You guys ready? The first beat should be an exciting or unexpected incident right off the top. For Halloween, we see Michael Myers stab his sister as a child, That was shocking and unexpected, especially for 1978. The second beat, we should meet the people we should care about or hate, it doesn't matter which, you know, in their ordinary world. We should meet them before everything goes to hell in a handbasket. So in Halloween, we meet Lori, the babysitter, and her friends who like to smoke pot and fool around. Uh, Don't they all in these type of movies? (laughs) They're just easygoing, normal teenagers going to high school, then walking home. So the third beat is something off happens, which is not quite right. Not something to be too alarmed about, but still your instincts tell you to be on guard. But they then shrug it off and go about their day. An example of this element is when Lori sees Michael Myers standing outside her classroom across the street, just glaring at her. She gets a little creeped out and looks away. But when she looks back, he's gone. 
The fourth must-have beat is a protagonist makes a choice to ignore the warnings or allows his self or herself to be talked out of their gut feelings by someone else. This happens in Halloween when Lori thinks she is being followed home. Her friend Annie says it's just some creep and she berates the creep who then drives away. Annie believes everything has been handled, but Lori still has a feeling. Lori's afraid to walk past a hedge, but once she does and sees that no one is behind it, she sighs in relief. Okay, the fifth beat the above could also be considered a fake solution where Lori and the friend believe that all is good in the world. The sixth beat involves the minor characters living their lives only to come face to face, da dun dun with evil. In Halloween, her friend Annie is babysitting Lindsay, but wants to hook up with her boyfriend. So she drops Lindsay off with Lori and goes back to the kid's house to get ready. But she gets in the car and notices that the windows are steamed up. Michael Myers is in the back seat and strangles her. Annie is the first kill after his escape from the asylum. The seventh beat, which can be used, is where someone sees something, but no one believes them. Now, this happens when Tommy, the kid Lori's babysitting, sees Michael Myers carrying Annie's lifeless body back into the house. But of course, once Lori looks out the window, there's nothing to see. Another instance of this is when Dr. Loomis comes to town and tells the sheriff that they have a killer back in the community. The sheriff doesn't believe him in the beginning, then later decides to drive around town with Loomis looking for Michael Myers. The eighth beat is more random kills. The slasher goes on a literal blood spree without taking a breath. In Halloween, more of Lori's friends are killed across the street in very creative ways, such as putting a butcher knife clean through the guy with the glasses as he is holding him up against the wall with his feet dangling off the floor. The other kill comes when Michael dons a sheet as a ghost and walks in the room of the half-naked teenager and just stares at her before she too gets creeped out and gets ready to leave. But of course, Michael can't let that happen, and he kills her as well. He later sprawls her on the bed with his sister's tombstone leaning up against the wall. You remember the sister, the one he murdered in the beginning of the film? The ninth beat is a confrontation or climax where the protagonist confronts the evil or is forced to deal with the evil in front of them. Sometimes they win and sometimes they lose to the evil. Also, sometimes they think they've handled it, but the evil is still alive. With Halloween, Lori hides the two kids in a closet and tells them not to come out until she says so. She then walks back downstairs where Michael Myers has entered the home through an open window. He attacks her in the living room, but she grabs knitting needles and stabs him in the neck. She believes he's dead. We, the audience, know otherwise. She goes back upstairs to tell the kids that everything is all right, but when they open the door, they see the boogeyman, Michael Myers. She orders the kids to flee to the neighbors and call the police. 
As they rush out the house, she hides herself in a closet. But of course, Michael finds her. She stabs him in the eye with a wire coat hanger as he drops the gigantic butcher knife and crumbles to the ground. Of course, he's still alive, but poor Lori turns her back on him and just sits there sobbing. He goes after her again, but the psychiatrist, Dr. Lomas, busts into the home after seeing the kids run out screaming and unloads his revolver into Michael, who falls out a second story window into the ground below. So what is a 10th must-have beat? Why not add a twist? or something that indicates that the story will continue when it's not over. With Halloween, Dr. Loomis looks back out the window, and Michael is gone. Over six bullets in his body, and he's managed to get up and take off. That ending was ripe for sequels. If you're writing a horror screenplay, be sure to make it obvious that the end isn't really the end in your script so that producers can visualize part two, part three, part four, and so on. So there you have it. The top 10 must-have beats that you should have in your horror screenplays. Tell me, what are your favorite horror films? Visit my anchor.fm homepage and the link is below and leave a voicemail. I'd love to hear from you and may even include your voicemail in a future podcast. Join me next week where I lay out the top 10 burning questions you have about sensitivity reading, but we're afraid to ask. I really appreciate you listening and subscribing to this podcast on iTunes. And don't forget to rate me on iTunes as well. To get in touch with me, go to authoruncut.com or sensitivityreviews.com. You can also email me your comments and suggestions for future shows at mailbag at patricewilliamsmarks.com. I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Until then, write on.